Welcome to Mahogany Moms Podcast. My name is Dr. Rochelle Whitaker, but you can call me Dr. Shell. I'm here to provide support and education on all things motherhood. Join me every other Wednesday for encouragement, inspiration, and information as we delve into health, mental and physical, education, money, and everything else that comes with this motherhood journey. Hello, 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 moms. We are airing this episode after the Easter weekend, and so I hope that everyone had a great Easter. I also wanted to share this as a warning. This episode is going to be talking about grief and loss, the loss of a spouse, and so if this is triggering for you, you may not want to partake in this episode, and if you decide to partake in this episode and you or someone you know is dealing with grief or loss, There will be a link in the show note to mental health resources. All right, let's get into the episode. Hey, y'all, it's Dr. Rochelle Whitaker, educational psychologist, maternal mental health therapist, parenting coach and author. And so today is another episode of the Mahogany Moms podcast, and we have a special guest. We have Ms. Siobhan Jones that is joining us. She is a licensed therapist and she's a mom of two boys. Welcome, Siobhan, to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited that you are here. So tell us more about yourself and what you do. Okay, so my name is Shivani. I am a licensed clinical social worker, and I work in the medical field. I deal with dialysis patients. Also, I am an advocate and I am the self-proclaimed self-care bestie. All I do is educate, inspire, and teach people to engage in self-care. I'm also a widow and I have two small children. I have two boys. Currently, they are five and seven and they are amazing, amazing children. I am also a new podcast host of my brand new podcast is called self-care after dark where i deal with all things self-care in real life you know it's a real life perspective on you know how we can all engage in self-care especially as mothers i love it i love the self-care bestie (laughs) so (laughs) thank you on the podcast so let's just jump right in share with us what your journey into motherhood was like it was, it was a little rocky. I, I got married when I was probably around like 26 and all I wanted was to have children. That was, I just wanted to have children from the beginning of time. And me and my husband at the time, we started trying and I got pregnant and it was, it was great. I just, I was on the moon and then I had actually a miscarriage. So my very first pregnancy in an intro into motherhood was unfortunately a miscarriage. And I think the miscarriage was probably around 11 weeks, but we had started telling people about it. And then we had to kind of go back and tell people that it was, you know, so that, that was pretty traumatic. And then a few months after that, I did we did try again and I conceived my oldest son and his name is KJ. Now he is seven years old. And pretty quickly after that, I got pregnant again before KJ was one, I was pregnant again. And I was pregnant with my youngest son and his name is Grayson. I mean, he's currently five, but motherhood was something that you cannot prepare for. Right. And prior, yeah, prior to me becoming a mother, I taught parenting classes, right? Uh-huh. I would go and teach parenting classes and 
I was young and I was just freshly out of college. And I'm telling people how to parent based off of my education and knowledge and things of that nature. But I had no real life experience into what a mother what motherhood really looked like in a real reality sense of way. And I was like, I had no idea what I was telling people, you know, at that time, because I'm thinking the book says this, this is all you have to do as a mother. But I didn't, I didn't take into account how much love you have for these children. You know, just your whole heart and soul goes into your child and just how hard it is to tell a mini version of yourself, no, and to parent in a certain way. So it, it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I can only imagine what the parents that were attending your parenting classes were thinking because you were young and because you, I'm sure they were like, well, do you have kids? And you're like, no. And they're like, okay, so she's teaching us based on really kind of theory alone, right? Yes, parenting, yes. Like it is something else. <laughs> Listen, I'm like, I, you know, I'm educated. I know this, I've experienced so much, but nothing, nothing prepared me from, from motherhood, even teaching parenting classes, like nothing, the, the book version of what they say you should do and how you should do it. It just, sometimes it doesn't apply. You don't know what type of child you're going to have. Right. So you can't apply every technique to your child because your child is going to be unique to, to you and it has nothing to do with the book. Yeah, so interesting. Okay, so you you have your two boys mm -hmm. and you say you became a widow when they were, yes. I mean, they're, they're still young. Um, yes. They were toddlers. So there was yes. a about that. They were two. My youngest had just turned two in July and my oldest was still three, turning four. My late husband passed away in September and my oldest son, was turning four in October. So technically I had a two and a three-year-old and it was a whirlwind. At that time, it wasn't about how I was going to deal with it. It was about, you know, as a therapist, how do I maintain my children's mental health throughout this time? Even though it was, they were young and they didn't know as much, it's still very important years for them to develop who they were, their personality, you know, different things like that. So that has been my goal from the time that my um, late husband passed away. It's just how do I maintain their mental health? How do I make sure that they are thriving and that they are happy and healthy children and that they don't lack anything, any love, any affection, any attention? So that has been my main mission as it relates to my, my children. You describe it so eloquently. Was your late husband? Late husband. Um, mm -hmm. was, was his death expected? Was it? No. Sick? No. And that's that's the thing, too. It was not something that was an expected occurrence. It wasn't like cancer where it's drawn out. You can, you know, create all these things in preparation. He went to work that Thursday and by Friday morning he was gone. You know, it was very, very unexpected. So there was no way to prepare for that mentally. I had, you know, worked with widows and people that have lost people, but you know, it's, a, it's such a unique experience, especially being a young woman, a young mother, a young wife in having to try to navigate the grieving process, but not really having that much time to grieve because life is still happening. A lot of times when something terrible happens in your life, 
it's hard to understand like the world is still spinning people are still functioning and you feel like you're at a standstill you know because it's just like how do I even function in this new role you know because now it, it you know it takes over your entire life now you know, where I had a two parent household my, with my children. Now I had to figure out, okay, well now I have to figure out how am I going to drop the children off to school mm-hmm. and then go to work and then come back and pick them up. Okay. And then how am I going to do homework and feed them at the same time and work out and, you know, because your, your lives are, we're on such a nice schedule and just imagine everything just shaking that entire schedule up not only for yourself but for your children and like trying to maintain some normalcy so um when when he passed away on that friday that monday my children were back in school and people were looking at me like i was crazy and i'm like "Uh uh-uh they need they need they need their routine they need like i didn't want to disrupt their entire life you know and children only know what we tell them, right? We they only know what we tell them. So even from the moment of his passing, I had to tell a two and a three-year-old that their father had passed away. I did that on that Saturday. And my oldest son, he was he's three, but he was going on four, and he's a very, very, very bright child. And he he took it and he asked questions. And whenever we spoke about his father, I never spoke about him um in a sad manner so when we spoke about him I'm like yeah remember when we used to do this and it was always a joyous happy time to speak about him because that that was how I wanted to frame their memories about their father I didn't want to frame their memories around sadness and grief and you know because at two and three you only know what I tell you you know and that was another thing of you know just making sure I protect their mind and their emotions and things of that nature um so they went back to school and people were looking at me like why did why kids back from school they need to maintain their routine they they kept because you know it's easy for everything to fall out of whack Mm -hmm. then you know the children may have behavioral issues because they're just like everything has changed no no you're going to go to school. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to try to figure this out. I'm going to plan this out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And they were fine. You know, they were fine as as great as they could be under the circumstances. But I also enrolled them in a grief group at that age. And they actively are still attending that grief group. So they've still continued to go as, you know, as they mature and get a little older, they're understanding more aspects of death and what death death means and they process death probably better than most adults which you know sometimes it's a little freaky because it's like you know death is not necessarily a good thing Mm -hmm. but they're like yeah that person died and they keep it moving there's no sadness but they do have moments my oldest son will say oh I miss daddy you know because he has moments of remembering his dad because he was three going on four so we'll process that and I'll you know talk about it and I'll let him know it's okay to cry we'll look through pictures and I just let him have his moment he has that moment the moment passes and then we do whatever else he wants to do but it's not long moments which I am grateful for but however long he wants the moment to be I don't I don't coach him through that moment I let him experience that moment on his own and when he's ready to get out of that moment we move along out of that moment into the next moment you know so I can imagine you know it was unexpected it was all of a sudden so what was your what is your support system like because I would imagine you have to have had one or have one right (laughs) 
<laughs> Listen, every day I am so thankful for my support system. I literally would not be on the other side of this without my support system. So, you know, I have my in-laws. So his parents are phenomenal, you know, and they are very active in, in the boy's life. My mom and my dad are phenomenal. Um, they take them on the weekend. Sometimes my dad picks them up from school, like every day when, you know, last year throughout the whole COVID situation, my dad had them doing homeschooling, you know, he's a little older. So he was having a hard time with the online school, but he tried his best and he did what he could do. And I gave him grace because, you know, he's doing something that's completely out of his realm or role, but I have a very, very, very strong support system and I'm definitely grateful for it, but I wouldn't have made it without that support system for sure. And so tell me, what is it like for you as a mom? Cause you didn't go into this thinking that you would be a widowed mom and you would be doing it by yourself. So what is that like for you? <laughs> Listen, listen, that was the hardest thing for me to accept, mm -hmm. you know, um, my mom was a single mother and, you know, you grow up and for me, I grew up and I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do everything quote unquote, right. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get married, get a house, have the babies and do everything quote unquote, right. You know? Mm -hmm. And when my late husband passed away, I was like, you know, the first thing I'm saying is, what am I going to do with these kids? Like, <laughs> I was literally like at the hospital, like, what am I going to do with these kids? What am I going to do with these kids? Like that was so hard to even process. And obviously I, I got a therapist. I believe in therapy. Therapy is um, extremely important. Mm -hmm. But we had the first few months we had to process my new role you know, as a widowed mother, we had to literally walk through, how do you go to the grocery store? You know, with two kids, you, you know how that is, but it's like, how do you go to the grocery store? How do you um, pick the kids up? Like, what are, what are these new routines look like? How do you function in these new routines? How do you ask for help? How do you let people come in? And because I'm a very independent person, I'm the strong person. So, you know, how do I move into a role of being vulnerable and actually asking for help when I need it and not taking everything on because that's how you, you know, you, you eventually break. But, um, that role has definitely been very difficult to be a, a solo parent, you know, it's called a solo parent because there is no other parent there. Um, it's different from being a single parent because, you know, sometimes you can drop the kids off to their dad's house. Um, so it's a, it's a unique experience. I didn't want to be in this role, you know, because I just, I never, wanted to be a single mother, you know, and no knock to anybody in anybody's lifestyle. I, I love and accept everybody. But for me, that is not what I wanted for my life, you know, um, mm -hmm. but you got to roll with the hand that you're dealt. So I've been rolling and trying to play my hand as best as I can. It's still a role that I'm just like, you know, when, when, you know, when things don't go the way that I want or expect, you know, it's, I kind of fall into that I didn't even, like, where am I? <laughs> what is happening right now? Like, this is not, this is not the life that I signed up for. You know, this is not what I am supposed to be living, but I'm here and I'm grateful that I am here and I'm here for a purpose. So it's been interesting. That's still an adjustment, you know? 
That's so one thing <laughs> that you said that I did not know. You said it's called uh solo, solo, solo parenting. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that is, I mean, that's a the term is very befitting, but I yeah. I have not heard that term. And maybe it's because widows of younger widows, you you don't hear that much about them. And so I usually like what we were talking about before, it's usually, you know people that are older or you right. associate widow with older people. So solo parenting. Okay. So I'm going to have to <laughs> put mm-hmm. that in the show notes. <laughs> so mm-hmm. people can be aware. Um, yeah. And so what is that like for you? What is it like for you? You know, so you have a support system. Um, you are a solo parent though. So when you show up for your kids events or activities <clears throat> um, or when, you know, kids are asking about, your you know the significant other or your husband how do you how do you handle that so uh, honestly okay so my kids the school that they go to their my in-laws own that school so okay. everybody's aware of the situation you know um but that can be very tricky because everybody isn't as emotionally sound I guess I don't know how to I don't know the term for it but I don't parent my children out of guilt or out of them being victims or out of you know oh I'm just so Mm -hmm. so I feel so sorry for you you know you okay you want the candy I feel sorry for you here you go you know and when I sent sent them back to school there was still a lot of that guilt Mm-hmm. As far as the teachers, even they were like, well, I don't know what to do because I know their situation. I don't want to. And I'm like, you treat them the exact same way that you treat anybody else. They're not victims. They, they don't um, don't treat them any. They don't need any preferential treatment. Treat them the exact same way. The world does not care about their situation. I don't want them growing up thinking that they can use that as a crutch or that they are victims in their life and in their, in their story. They're not victims. They have, you know, they are the hero of their story. Like that's not something that you should feel sorry for them about, you know, everything happens for like, they're okay. You know? So that was definitely very difficult. And even so now I'm like, treat them the same, but it's also different, different because the principal and who owns the school is their grandparents. So it's still, you know, it's, 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 it's they're still going to get treated like they're special and I'm like they're not special they're special to me but they're not in in the realm of children they are the exact same as any other child going to teacher conferences and sporting events it's highlighted you know when when they graduate you know when my my youngest graduated from VPK and went into kindergarten, those moments or birthdays, those moments is really highlighted that, you know, you know, my, my husband is not here with me to experience this. So those moments can be very tough for me because I just, I feel bad for them. You know, even though I don't parent them in a way of feeling guilty, it, it, it breaks my heart for them, you know, but they do have male role models they have uncles they have their godfather who's really active in their life and my dad and their grandfather from you know their uh, paternal grandfather so they have male role models and their love and things of that nature but those moments they get they get me they get me 
I love the fact that you said they're the hero of their story. I love that. Right. Um, because and I also love the fact <laughs> that you said you're not compensating for the fact that um, their dad has passed because that's what you see a lot of. You see a lot of like coddling and just even even um, I've seen this, you know, sometimes with it could be with the two parent household and maybe the, the one of the parents is absent or not as present. And so there's a compensation for that. But I love right. the fact that you're like, they're not victims. This is mm-hmm. not something that I want them to use as a crutch. And so I think that that's important. So if another Absolutely. mom is, you know, finding herself in a in a situation that maybe she didn't choose to be in, she doesn't allow her kids, She her kids can be the hero of their story. I love that. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so tell me, what did you not know about being a mom that you wish someone would have told you? I didn't know anything about being a mom. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you think, and the thing is, I thought I I knew a lot, you know, I was teaching parenting classes and I feel so, uh, I don't know, I don't know the word for it, but I'm like, I had no idea. I was so judgmental. You know, you just, you know, you're sitting high, you're looking low. You're like, if I was a parent, I would never let my kids eat gummy bears for breakfast. You know, in the morning, I'm just like, take the gummy bear and leave me alone. I, I <laughs> whatever, because it's two of them against one. So they wait, they, they wear me down. They are very bright and they know how to get their way. But I was very judgmental of parents before I became a parent. And I just thought that I knew that you should not do this and you should not do that. And if I was a parent, I wouldn't do that. And if I was a parent, I wouldn't do that. And I just, I didn't know how judgmental I truly was until I became a parent and I started to seek grace. It's like, look, this is hard. I need you to give me a little grace. I wasn't giving grace out at that time, but now I tell people, listen, listen, you, I don't judge people when the kids fall in the middle of the floor. I'm like, listen, I'm here with you. Like I, I sympathize with you because it's hard. And the thing is, when you're on the outside looking in, you have the energy to quote unquote parent from the sidelines. But when you are in that thing and it's from sun up to sundown, you know, it's every day, all day. Sometimes the kids will call in my bed and, you know, it's, it's, you, you literally have to dole out your energy. You have to say, is this important? Mm-hmm. Do I really want to put a certain amount of energy on this? Or do I just want to say, you know, he'll survive the gummy bear in the morning. Okay. He'll, you know, <laughs> not every morning, but here you go. You know, it just, I didn't know anything. I was very judgmental. And I just, I see that things are so different when you are in it. And when you are a parent, it's just, it's completely different. It is. So tell me, do you, what are your thoughts or do you think that mothering or parenting to African-American boys is different or you have to do, you have to do things differently or think about things differently? I do. It's very difficult because you're, you're going against even the culture sometimes, you know, the culture tells you boys should act like this and boys should be like this. And especially black boys, they have to be extra tough and they have to not cry. And as a therapist, I understand what not being in touch with your emotions do to people over time. You know, I understand not being able to identify and vocalize those emotions. Sometimes it comes out in anger. Sometimes it, you know, people shut down there. There are plenty of adults that I interact with 
at this time, they're in their 30s or 40s and they don't have the language for an emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, the only acceptable emotion for a black man is anger a lot of times. That's the only one that they feel like this is the one emotion I can tap into and it's okay for me to express, but they don't feel comfortable sometimes expressing vulnerability, you know, saying that their feelings are hurt, saying that they're upset about something without, you know, being enraged. So raising African-American boys, I teach them very I, I teach them the language from when they were first starting to talk or when they, you know, how children get very frustrated when they are, when they want something. And I'd say, yeah. are you frustrated? Are you frustrated because you can't open the bottle? Okay. Just say, mommy, can you please open the bottle? Or, you know, mommy, I'm, I'm sad or you hurt my feelings or, you know, trying to just teach them how to communicate their feelings and that it's okay to cry and it's okay to be in touch with your maybe more feminine side if that's how you are as a person. It's it's tough because the world sees, you know, my black boys as aggressive and they're they're just gentle little sweet little things. So I'm going to have to try to not only protect them, but try to prepare them for the world. And I think that's a different aspect altogether. Like how do you do that? You know, and I'm a woman. I'm like, it's only so much I can teach a boy because I don't know about that you know I don't know what's appropriate or I don't know what you know certain things so that's where their godfather comes in that's where my um my father comes in their paternal you know grandfather and their uncles come in because I'm just like I don't know you know so it's it's very it's very different I would say but I don't know how it is to raise a white child I don't I don't know how it is to raise any other child but I do know that what we have to prepare our children for may be a little different yes and so that's the I think that is the hard part right and I think it's different too not to say that having sons is different from having girls, but it is, to, there is some difference. And so right. the conversations, because I have boys too, the conversations that I had, and others, they're still little too, but the conversations that I have to have with them are different. And the kind of things that I have to be concerned about as their mom are different than what I feel like if I had a daughter would be. And so I'm, you know, just always cognizant and aware of them and, and the things that are our environment and surroundings, uh, right? right? That is very true. But so I wanted to ask you, you're the self-care bestie. Did that come from the solo parenting from kind of like your, the things that you've had to deal with? Is that where that came from? Yes. <laughs> yes. So becoming a solo parent, these kids were on me like white on rice. And I don't know if it, if partially it was like, I need to keep my eyes on you. You know, I need to make sure that you are here with me and I need to make sure that I can touch you and I can be up on you. And it was very intense initially because I don't know if they were just like, well, if dad died, then maybe you're next. You know, I don't know. There was a certain clinginess and attachment that they had to me initially. They they are still clingy, but it's okay. <laughs> I accept it. I love it because I know when they get older, they're not going to want to deal with me. But um, initially they were very clingy and I just, I, I became very overwhelmed, just life, just, you know, juggling everything. And I'm like, you know, I do know that I need to take care of myself. I don't have much time to take care of myself because I have these kids. So I, I created, I started creating sugar scrubs and I was like, you know, this is one thing I can do when I'm in the shower and, you know, it's interrupted showers sometimes, but that's the one time that I'm like, okay, let me, 
you know, have a moment to take a bath. I started to exfoliate and I started to create sugar scrubs for myself. And it made me feel good about myself and it made me, you know, look, my skin look good. But it also just helped me to it boost my confidence as well, because now I'm a solo parent, but now I'm a single woman, you know, mm-hmm. so I had to try to figure out how to even be a single woman because I had been in a relationship for over 10 years, like all of my twenties, which is when you discover yourself as a woman sometimes, you know, for some people. So, you know, I've had two kids and I've never been single with children. My body is completely different now that I've had these children. How do I learn to accept myself as a single woman with two children? And my body looks like I had two children, you know, because I got, you know, I got my little stretch marks and, you know, my, you know, my, my little stuff going on. So engaging in self-care definitely helped me to learn to love all of me, you know, mind, body, and spirit. And it wasn't just exfoliating. It was also me learning to meditate, me, you know, going to the gym, me, you know, seeking my spirituality and just, you know, becoming more grounded as a, as a woman. It's, it was just the total of self-care and it definitely helped me to still remain sane. So that's, that's where my company, Sweet Sugar Baby, that's, that it, it, it was birthed from my need to engage in self-care. I love that. So Thank is you. there anything that I haven't asked that you would want to share with a mom about anything, you know, maybe it's based on your experience or just motherhood in general? I would just tell moms out there to be gentle on yourself. Everybody's children are different. You know, don't compare your children to anybody else and don't compare your children to each other. Your children are individuals and what may work for one child may not work for your other child. Like really start to learn your children's love language because children have love languages as well Mm -hmm. and understand, okay, this kid needs, he needs a lot of affection. Let me give him some physical touch. Let me hold him. Let me hug him. Let me just put my leg on him. Like, let me make sure that I am constantly in contact and with him so that he understands how much I love him. And then the other kid may need a lot of positive affirmations. He may need a lot of verbal, a lot of you're doing great. I'm proud of you. And it's just understanding your child's love language and making sure that you give yourself grace as you raise these children, because it is no joke. (laughs) It is no joke. No, it's not. I love that. So how can moms find you? Where can they find you? Oh, I'm everywhere. (laughs) Um, They can find me on my podcast, Self Care After Dark. And I am on Apple, Anchor, Google, Spotify. I'm on everything. Self Care After Dark. You can also find me on IG, Self Care After Dark. On, on IG, you can find me on Sweet Sugar Baby on IG, and you can go to my website if you want to engage in self care. I have sugar scrubs, body scrubs, lip scrubs, foot scrubs, bath <laughs> soaps. I have everything you need to just take a moment for yourself to just engage in some form of self care. So that's sweetsugarbaby.com, and that's the sugar without the R. So that's how you can reach me. I love that. Thank you. So we'll have to have you back on the podcast so we can talk about dating. The single being being a single woman and dating after being in a relationship in a marriage for 10 years. Listen, that's the real tea. That's when it gets juicy. (laughs) I would love to come back and and talk with you about that because it's interesting now. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And like I said, we'll definitely have to have you back. For sure. Thank you so much. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Mahogany Moms podcast with me. If you like the podcast, please show your support by sharing it and leaving a review. If you'd like to learn more about us, go to mahoganymomspodcast.com. Until next time.